Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world sounds. You're listening to episode 99 of Hack to Start. This episode features Mahdi Youssef, the CTO of Gyroscope. See the complete story of your life. Tyler and I wanted to invite Mahdi onto the show to share his story as a developer and entrepreneur and what it's been like working on Gyroscope. Mahdi moved around a lot as a kid, spending time in Saudi Arabia, Ottawa, and Thailand, among other countries, all the while exploring new technologies and learning about computers. After university, Mahdi started working for a mergers and security company before jumping into startups. He's also the co-founder of PyCoders Weekly and a large part of the Python community through that newsletter that attracts over 30,000 subscribers. Mahdi's also given several talks on personal branding and how to build communities around projects. He joins us to share his story, how he got into startups, why focusing on your health is so critical, how to develop your own brand, especially as a developer, what it's like to be CTO at Gyroscope, and much more. This is an amazing episode you won't want to miss, so let's get to it. Hey, Madi, thanks so much for being on the show, man. Oh, thanks for having me, man. My pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've been super excited, uh, looking forward to having having you on uh, for a while and sharing your story and, and what you're up to with uh, with Gyroscope. But before we dive into that, how about uh, you share a little bit more with, with us and, and the listeners, uh, like where, where are you from and, and what did you study? So I always find that question a bit difficult and hard to answer because my family's traveled around a bunch of places growing up. Um, I was originally born in Saudi Arabia. My dad was doing some work for for an oil company. And then we moved here when my dad was doing his PhD to Ottawa. And then we moved back to Thailand and Moscow and all over the world. So it's hard really to say where I'm actually from. So I find the question a bit weird. Like my background is Somalian. But where I've been living for the past 10 years is Ottawa. And where I currently live is Ottawa. So I, that's where I'd say I'm from. Um, what I studied was uh, computer systems engineering at Carleton. Pretty uh, tough program. It's a mix between electrical engineering and software engineering with a focus on like control systems. So you can think of a control system as like the thing that regulates elevation in an airplane, like things that if it goes wrong, people will die. That type okay. of background. That's okay. what I was really focused on during school. Um, if I probably could go back, I'd probably just go a computer science route. And seeing as all this work I've been doing since university has been focused more on soft, the software side of control systems. I think that would have served me a lot better, but the engineering degree always seems to come in handy when there's a tough problem or, or some math that needs to get done. So people starting out, I'd probably tell them to do computer science if they wanted to get into what we're doing and what I'm doing, mobile development and web development. It gives you a bit more time to tinker around and play with things. Yeah, for sure. That's super cool. So with all that traveling as, as you know, like a, a young person growing up and getting to see different parts of the world, yeah. how, how did that sort of affect, you know, your passion for technology and entrepreneurship? How did those different worldviews, you know, lead you to where you are now, I guess? Where I grew up was was a place that was a wealthy country. Like They had a lot of abundance of wealth, but not a lack, not a lot of knowledge in the country. So it was one of the countries in the Middle East where they realized they had a lot of resources and stuff like that. So you'd see them contract out to these larger uh, European and Western companies to get the latest and newest technology all the time because the country was fairly wealthy 
and it was always turning a profit because they had they had an export which was oil or natural gas which always allowed them to just pay for stuff as a country and also a little bit has to do with how the countries are structured so you'd always see where i grew up you'd have all the newest stuff and all the newest latest technology and they weren't really forced to innovate so a lot of the innovation as you know in the world comes from the west so you see that disparity there where they have the money to just pay for the technology versus having to innovate because they're constrained by resources mm-hmm. so so seeing a lot of that growing up was interesting and it put a lot of perspective in me now as an adult but when i was a kid really just kind of flew over my head but i was the type of kid who always liked to tinker with stuff and i take these things oftentimes as a personal challenge because i really wanted to focus and get the thing done and i was always felt like if i didn't get it finished that i was like a failure in some sorts which is which is an insane way to think but i always would really really try hard to get things done i don't know i just always felt like it was a competition so when things were broken like a computer or a telephone in the house i'd always try to make it work and try to fix it and try to jury rig so get other things like uh open the thing up and see what's actually wrong with it and then it, that clicked in pretty early for me to having that type of personality really helps when you're building software and building systems so when you get stuck on a tough problem you don't just give up but you keep working at it and you persevere software stuff i was pretty late bloomer i didn't get a computer until i was in middle school and I couldn't stop tweaking with the different things. I didn't have internet at the time, so it was really interesting playing around with all the settings on like a Windows 98 box, flipping every switch, seeing how <laughs> things worked, and really just getting a good feel for how the computer behaved, deleting a file, see what happened, or renaming it and see what happened. Stuff like that was always stuff I found very interesting. Then I got into cleaning up machines, fixing them, uh, removing OSs and stuff like that, and reinstalling OSs, which was very delightful for my mom's friends and their children who had broken computers at the time. And quickly became a uh, bane of my existence doing that over and over again. But it was fun to see them happy with their machines again. But I remember the exact moment. It was really, really fun time where uh, me and my friend were playing with this application, Windows application called Hyperterminal, which was basically a way to connect to one computer to another through a phone call and it would give you like a little chat window. It didn't even have uh, a setting where you would show your message. My message it would be just a block of string. So each time you press the letter, it would show up on the string uh, on the screen. So it would be just this one consistent line. So it didn't even have this chat interface. So it was basically, I pressed A, then my friend pressed B, and it would be on the same line. So when we started, it would just show up. So when we started typing, one of us would have to stop in order to us so we could read what the other person was saying or would end up all jumbled up. So we would do that and lock up our our telephone lines for hours at a time. And then at one point we realized we could send stuff to each other. And my friend had this elaborate setup at home where he could tie his radio to his computer and then he could click record and he can actually record radio so what he would do is he'd record like radio shows and clip out songs and have like this extensive library at home and i wanted to listen to that music when i got home so we'd connect our computers and he'd start sending it to me and now would obviously lock up the computer three meg mp3 file over a dial-up connection would take a long time so oftentimes we wouldn't get through it but from time to time we would get through it and it was the coolest thing ever like mainly because like there was no internet at the time. Like there was internet, but we didn't have it. And we just managed to figure out how to get it working. We had to figure out like baud rates and stuff like that. And it was so awesome. And that's when I knew like that was that was the thing for me. And that's what I found to be super cool. We eventually realized how to compress these files. And then that came up with its own issues there. Um, we realized if we compress the file, the file size gets smaller, but the audio file on the other end is pretty crappy. Yeah. But we were playing around with that as we were getting a little bit older and that was pretty cool to see how that worked 
Yeah, for sure. That that's hilarious. It's an amazing story of uh, playing around with some, with some tech as a as a kid. That's yeah, so funny. And it's good to see where where that passion kind of came from. So, how did you know? How did you first get into startups when you were a little bit older? Like, what was your first job, and and how, what was that kind of progression into into becoming a little bit more of a you know professional uh, like for you? So, uh, my first job right out of school was at a software security firm. I graduated around 2008, 2009, right around the crash. There wasn't a lot of jobs going everywhere. A lot of my friends went to work for large companies. Um, I wanted specifically to go work for a small company so I could get the most exposure as possible, which will allow me to get better that much quicker. So, I ended up at a software security firm. We're building static analysis tools for mergers and acquisitions. So, basically, we're the company that's in the middle when your company wants to get bought by another company. They have to do due diligence. And our company was sitting in the middle. And what we detect are uh, CVEs, which are common vulnerabilities and exposures. You can basically think of them as like known issues in systems that can lead to a breach. And we built a tool that would detect that in software statically. So you would you just run it, and then we'd we'd get we'd get a report saying this piece of software suffers from these. Oftentimes, it would be just upgrading particular pieces of the version. Other times, it were just mistakes that the engineers at the particular team didn't see. And we'd generate this giant report, and we'd work in different languages, and we'd explore into these projects in different companies, which were pretty big and a lot of companies that the listeners would know about. And we'd do analysis on portability, maintainability, other things that the buying company would be interested in. And that exposed me to a lot of languages very quickly. And I became proficient in quite a few of them since we had to do a lot of uh, security analysis in these languages. So you you start to see these same same libraries that everybody's using that has the same problem, and you can highlight that to the to the sellers. And if they can fix it in time, the, the buying company would buy them. It was really cool stuff, but it was really academic in nature. It was a good experience, and it served me well in my career. But it wasn't where I saw myself going for the rest of my life, and it wasn't what I found interesting and compelling. So I eventually moved on, and the, this entire time while I've been at this company, I was working on side projects, working evenings and weekends, for writing my blog, mostly in Python, and figuring things out and sharpening my command over the languages and building actual product. During your time there, uh, with, you know, looking into the vulnerabilities, was there any any vulnerabilities that came up where you know it actually like caused the deal to stop completely? Yes, that's definitely happened before. Yeah, and it was mostly to do with maintainability issues, not not exposures because if the second you know of a vulnerability you can fix it they were just curious about the state of a system before they bought it so they could know like if they found if we found and we'd give them a metric of like is this is this abnormally high or abnormally low and then they'd use that as a metric to gauge the quality of the software but most times the things that caused issues were were maintainability so meaning that if they were to sell and the team wasn't wasn't to come over they wouldn't be able to continue developing it, the software in a meaningful and quick way. And that's what usually would blow a deal. So kind of diving in a little bit more to what you were saying there, you know, you got to master a bunch of different languages, uh, but primarily mm-hmm. Python. And, and, you know, you were running your blog uh, and you also started running a, uh, a weekly newsletter called PyCoder, which was, you know, like a community for, I don't know, a little over 30,000 subscribers. So, you know, what compelled you to really launch that newsletter and, and how did you grow that community? Yeah, I wouldn't say prim- primarily anymore. Like I haven't written any substantial Python in a couple of years now or so. Um, I still do keep a close eye on the community since I'm still contributing to the newsletter and sharing it weekly. Python community, for the most part, is the greatest software community I can think of. Um, I've been in a few communities, and they are the most level-headed and, and supportive group, I can say, by far. We started pretty close to roughly four years ago, 
it was mainly because of Mike. Mike had the idea to like start newsletters. Like, hey man, every day we're reading the same, like all these articles. We're doing all this stuff, and we talk about what we find that is interesting and the ones we don't find so interesting. And I think it would be cool to like make a newsletter to share that information to the Python and Django community and curate the best stuff and send it out in a new newsletter every week. So basically, like that weekend. We whipped up a small page and then we put it out there and then quickly we had over 2,000 subscribers and we hadn't made a single issue of the newsletter yet. Like we, we had done it in January. We said we're going to release our first issue in the first or second week of February. Like after we got 2,000, it was like, okay, we got to do this thing now. There's yeah. 2,000 people interested. Boom. We just went from there. Uh, we grew through things through basically through creation, like just picking out quality software things, things we actually use that weren't getting all that much of attention. And then just pulling in the community that way, right? Like the Python community, like I was saying, really rewards people doing good stuff in the community. And they really like let people know about it. So it's a community where if you do something of quality, they'll share it amongst the community. And it's something that I'd like to do in the community. And it, I think it serves a purpose in the community because it allows new people to get into the community, get out there and try different things and put stuff out there. Um, so we leverage Twitter for a lot of that growth. Um, we have a huge following there. And basically just sharing out like the things that people use and and enjoy using and what utility it has. And the thing about Python, it's it's ubiquitous throughout a bunch of like stacks, like data science, web development, uh, fast and computer computing, tons of stuff. So you really, really get a slice of every community, which makes Python such a great language because there's so many people who use it for so many different things. And then we highlight obscure and unknown projects, which then those people get excited about saying that they got featured in the newsletter and it grows from there. A lot of it's word of mouth and keeping at it is the key here. Like consistently delivering every issue every week. We haven't missed an issue in four years. That's incredible. So just, yeah. So keeping at it and doing it every week, even if it's not growing, if it's not working out, like you can see this trend across every platform, like YouTube, for example, a lot of the people who are really popular, like now have been doing it for five years previous when they weren't so popular. Yeah. Right? A good example is uh, MKBHD. It gets like two, three million views per for a video that he puts out, but if you go back like four or five years, you'll see he was a young kid in high school doing videos on the side. Yeah, no, it's really cool, and and I definitely agree that persistence is the key. So you know, along the way, you've given a, you know several talks on on specifically on how developers can build their personal brands and also build like communities around their projects. So why are these two messages you know so important to you, and and you know what extra advice do you have to share around how to approach both of those aspects? Well, these two points are really crucial. Everything about people, know how, no matter how many languages you know or what you can do, sooner or later you're going to have to rely on people and people are, are going to have to rely on you. So the more people you can help and teach and the more that the more, the more that will come back to you. It's about being familiar and building that trust. And that's crucial to anything that you do. So a lot of the positions I've been able to get in my career have been through stuff that I've done in my extra time, just writing and investing in my time and asking people questions and being genuine about those questions and, and pointing out and giving positive feedback and letting people know what you think and just being familiar with everyone is crucial because people often think, you know, if I build like the perfect system and it'll be the best and you don't talk to anybody about it, oftentimes people have different perspectives on things. Your perspective may not align with what everybody else is thinking. So it's a, it's a great thing to put that out there and to help other people get themselves out there and get them contributing to the collective community and, and generating more and more knowledge. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times I met people at a conference or out at a meetup randomly or for an interview even sometimes. They're saying they've used a library that I've written or they're really motivated by a blog post that I wrote or just anything that I've done throughout the stuff I've just been putting out. And people oftentimes 
think that the person who's doing that particular thing is is special or anything like that. It's just keep at it and keep putting yourself out there and, and polish things as best you can and rework them to, to get them to the best place they can be. Um, speaking is another great tool as well. It was a personal goal of mine for 2012, 2013, I can't remember exactly, to accept every speaking opportunity for whatever I was offered. So if there was a call to, for requests, I'd put in a request to speak. And it was twofold. A personal challenge again. Like I wanted to be to get better at public speaking. It was my focus. It was something that I that I knew I needed to have as a skill, just in case I needed it throughout my life. And it's silly being nervous about something that you can just practice and get better at. And then the other reason is that crafting a, a talk about something really makes you think about, okay, how would I teach this to to a beginner? And I remember when I was a TA, I was teaching a course that I that I had aced in my first year, but. When I was teaching it back to them, I found that I had grasped it a lot better than I originally did because I was forced to think about all these questions that they're asking me. Mm-hmm. And it really solidified the understanding of what I was teaching in that case. So I really understood it at that point. Like that's when I know you, I've mastered something, when I can explain it to somebody who's either starting out or is a layman concisely. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And so, you know, talking about putting yourself out there and just being consistent and and working on a whole bunch of things in your spare time or at nights and on weekends, um, you know, now you're the CTO at at Gyroscope. So can you tell us a bit more about what Gyroscope is and how, you know, you end up creating the opportunity to be be part of the team there? So Gyroscope, I don't know if you guys haven't heard it. Gyroscope is is an app that lets you track all aspects of your life, both physical and digital. So we track everything from your workouts to how much time you spend on the computer and we focus on allowing you to quantify all the aspects of your life passively. So the idea basically is you connect all your services. Now, like wearables are everywhere. You're tracking how much time you're spending on the computer. You're tracking how much water you drink. That combined with HealthKit allows us to create a clear context of who you are and what you spend your time doing. Your phone has location information. So we tie in all these services that you're putting all this data out into and allows you to create a profile about you for your day so you can allow you to improve where you spend your time how much you're working out your weight your health everything and it's all passive very few things in our system require you to take require you to take an action multiple times at least once at some cases but most of them is very very simple um, so after i was working like i was saying earlier at the software security firm i went on to build an analytics platform at a startup in auto for a couple of years that eventually went under and was a, i was a bit tired and burnt out i needed to take care of myself physically and mentally I was full tilt, just working all the time. Again, like the balance there wasn't there, which is very important to any new younger developers out there. It's very crucial for you to have somewhat of a balance between your work and your health. Can't stress that more than enough. So at that, at, after that company went under, I decided to do contracting work for close to a year and started playing sports more regularly again. I started focusing on the gym and focusing on my health overall. I lost around 45 pounds. And I obviously started looking into Fitbit and all that, being a technologist and being interested in that stuff. I got a Fitbit. Then I started looking into like, okay, this data is here, but I'm not, I'm not really loving the way Fitbit's showing it to me. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of interaction between what I, what I have on my wrist and what I'm actually doing. There's no way for me to visualize that or share it with people. So I started looking around, and then I, and I found Anand's initial prototype for Gyroscope, which was really awesome. So around that time, I, got, I started getting tired of the grind of contracting, which is good for balance. But in terms of like building and investing in something and creating something bigger than yourself, that wasn't really there. And it was just mundane work that I wasn't too interested in. So I started looking around for a larger organization where I could do some work that would be put towards something larger. So I applied to all these, all these large companies, Google, Facebook. I ended up flying out for a couple of interviews down there. And while I was there, I decided to reach out to Eric, who's at Gyroscope at the time, 
and I had known him through the Python community. I had heard they were hiring, so I decided to just hit him up and see see how they were doing. I ended up chatting with them, and then while I was waiting to hear back, I ended up working with them for a couple of weeks. They ended up asking me if I was interested in joining the team, and I joined the team. That's pretty cool, man. Happens so quick. And so obviously everybody who's listening has to go check Gyroscope out. Uh, it's an amazing app. I've been using the pro version for, I don't know, four or five months now at least. Um, and, and, it, and it's just unreal. But it's it's just the level of, of detail and visualization that you guys have brought to the app, I think, is unparalleled to anything out there. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about like what's actually gone into that development and, and what Gyroscope is actually built with? And, and sort of how did you transition to, to building mobile apps, given your, your background? At, a, at its core, Gyroscope is, is uh, a central piece. Um, we have a code name for it internally called Cerebro. And the idea behind that piece is that it pulls in all the data for all our users. So when somebody signs up for Gyroscope, they connect a bunch of services that they're providing data from. So whether it be uh, Foursquare, Fitbit, uh, Moves, we pull in all that data. And that piece is called Cerebro. That's written in uh, Go, which is which is really good for concurrency and cheap threads, which we use to cheap threads exist in our system to pull in data for a particular user which is really great. And I've, I've built an analytics tool that's doing that type of work many times. And I feel like this is, this is the best one I've built so far. Talk to me after I do my next one, but I, I really, really enjoy that one. Um, that's the backend piece. And then there's several client pieces. So there's an API and processing piece to Cerebro. And there's also a front-end facing piece, which is the API, which powers all the mobile apps and the website. Uh, the website's mostly just a scaffolding, which is all the views and all the fancy UI that you see that Anand's built out. And it's just pulling in all the data from Cerebro, which then renders all the beautiful graphs that you guys see on the website and the mobile apps. In terms of transitioning into mobile, it was a big transition for us. We knew that we had to be in the mobile market because that's where everybody's at. And it was really cool to get people's feedback and 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 feed the feedback loop between them, us collecting their data and them doing stuff back to them as quickly as possible. So that when they go for a run, we were telling them, hey, your run's ready. You can generate the card that you can share about your run. So the cards are basically nice visualizations around various data pieces. So let's say you went for a run. It has a nice map of the run, where, what city you ran the run in, and it gives you the option to pull in music stats or to pull in or run elevation stats or various heart rate stats for your run. And it generates these beautiful cards that you can then share out on Instagram or on Twitter and motivate others to start running. By the time I had joined Gyroscope, I've been doing mobile development for, for three years. And building mobile apps is so much more fun than building backend pieces because with mobile you have to you have to cut away you have to you have to curate you have to give the best the best experience you have to be focused around the experience in my experience for the most of the part web apps have been apps that you can consistently adding more and more adding more infrastructure and as time grows you're you're making it bigger and bigger bigger i guess you could say the same thing for mobile apps but initially you're curating an ex a deliberate experience so people yeah. You know people aren't going to be at the desk. You know people are going to be on the go. You want them to get in and get out and do the thing they need to get done or see what they want to see as quickly as possible. So mobile development I found very fun. And in the past, I've built a game called Cubes Challenge, which is a simple time challenge game where you had to tap the singular off-color cube, which is really fun. That did really well in terms of ad revenue. It was It was really good there. And then we had another app called Fortune, uh, which was I did with Mark. Mark Stevenson is a great designer here in Ottawa, which was a cryptocurrency stock tracking application where you'd add which currency you had. So let's say you had Bitcoin or Litecoin. 
it would track the price variation against the U.S. US dollar. And that was top five in, in finance, the finance category and the app store as well for a while. So yeah, so all like I said, like all these projects are side projects that I do in my evenings and weekends with with friends, and they tend to make some money sometimes. Sometimes they don't, but the experience in building them gets you a skill set that you can then go ahead and get a job with or build that next big thing that you're interested in. So at Gyroscope, just as we started building the mobile app, we realized that React Native was just becoming a thing. So we started building this mobile app or one of our mobile apps in in February, Marchish of the year. Uh, React Native came out. So we're right on the scene. As soon as React Native was released, we we're already building stuff. In order to build something on a small team and you want to scale it out to several mobile platforms, React Native seemed like the perfect scenario and it worked really well for us. We have two apps in the App Store and probably two of the bigger React Native applications in the App Store today. Oh, that's unreal. And so what's it been like, uh, you know, building with, with that new language? Like, was there a lot of, uh, I don't know, like missing libraries at the beginning? Or what, what's it like building so quick on, on such, uh, such new technology? So the thing there you have to understand, like React Native had been used maybe two, three months before we, we had started building with it. So there was a lot of growth and improvement heavily throughout the time we've been building our application. So up until now, since React Native has been released, up until now, we've been working side by side with them. And we've we've hit a lot of the bugs and found a lot of workarounds, most of which have been fixed. So if anybody's diving in now, the experience is a lot better, at least for uh, iOS. Android's probably in the same state. iOS was in a year ago now. So if you're thinking about doing Android stuff, I would hold off if you're not brave. <laughs> but it's been really great. The community is awesome. It isn't without its warts. Like you still have to know how to write some Objective-C if you plan on doing anything fancy in your mobile application. But if you're building like a app where you're just chatting with users or you're building a photo sharing app or, or, an, or a simple app where you just want to get some, some data off of your mobile platform to a, to a mobile app, React Native is the way to go, especially if you're familiar with JavaScript and, or if you're just starting out. Like I highly recommend it to beginners just to want to get like prototyping and doing stuff with mobile apps or even releasing to production with mobile apps, I would recommend that you guys take a look at React Native. But a lot of the times if you're building a little bit more fancier stuff, you're going to have to write a lot of bridging code, which we had to do for health tracking by Gyroscope because a lot of the health kit APIs are native only and we had to, we had to build that in line with the React Native pieces. Not impossible, but it is a bit of effort. So if you're thinking of React Native as pure Gyroscript all the time, not necessarily true, but if you're willing, uh, if you have some mobile experience using Objective C or Java for Android, you should have a smooth transition to React Native. Super cool. And so uh, you mentioned that you recommend that uh, new developers try playing around with it. Are there any resources, any books, or websites, or anything like that people should check out beyond, um, I guess, the documentation? The documentation is great if you know where to look. So oftentimes the development is going a lot faster than the documentation. So you'll often fall out of fall out of loop, but there are people building and sharing blog posts around React Native, little things in React Native that you can use. Uh, NPM has a host of of libraries that you can use to leverage things instead of writing your own bridges. People have written them for you and packaged them in, up in tools. Um, there's tons of books in O'Reilly, which I recommend are great. None of them are coming to mind off the top of the head. I think starting off with React Native is one. There's another book from A-Press called Beginning with React Native. There are tons of blog posts. So the community is very vibrant and there is no lack of information out there. You just have to go and find it. 
Cool. Okay. Well, we'll definitely link to as many of the things uh, that you just mentioned as possible uh, yeah. there in the, in the show notes, so people can go check it out. But you know, kind of expanding on on you know growing and all the challenges that have come along o- over the past couple of years. You know, what's your day to day role as a CTO now? Um, it's it's uh, it's pretty hectic. You know, we're a small team here at Jacob. We're two people. It's Anand, the CEO, and myself, the CTO, and we're we're here building the entire community and product um, a, lot of, a lot of people think we're a lot bigger than we are since we're doing a lot of different things we have several mobile apps in the app store and we're constantly releasing new things people tend to think that we're larger than we are most of our time is spent building and writing code for gyroscope everything from the servers all the way down to um, making sure your data gets in is all my responsibility the mornings usually are dealt, dealing with support email from the night before or emailing users who have questions. And and then right after that, I have a quick chat with Anon once his day starts. Um, we're east and west coast, so I'm up a little bit earlier than he is. And then he's up later than I am. Um, so we have a little bit of chat once we... Once we're both uh, in sync, and then the rest of the afternoon is spent working on whatever I'm working on the day. So either Objective C or JavaScript for the mobile apps, or Golang and Python for our backend, Cerebro, and whether on our processing and importing pipelines. And of course, that's sprinkled in with the occasional server issue that I have to deal with immediately. So I'm constantly on call if anything goes down, because people's data, if the second anything happens, people's data starts coming in, and then we have disappointed people. Yeah, for sure. But thankfully, those are few and far between now. So how do you guys actually stay in sync about like, you know, like product roadmap and that kind of stuff? So Slack's a huge, huge help. Like we just chat on there. We're constantly in contact. And it's it's not too difficult with two people. So we're able to stay on the same page. Like all the stuff that needs to get done that gets put into GitHub issues. And then those are wrapped into milestones that we that we work towards each week. And we just keep knocking them out that way. And it's fairly easy to stay in sync since we're so small. Um, but it's mostly done through Slack. Yeah, that's really cool. And so, you know, how have the two of you really approached marketing and sort of growing the user base? What what tactics have have proven to be the most effective? Because you obviously, you know, you don't have a ton of resources and you can't, you know, try it all. So, you know, what's worked? What's worked the best for you guys? So up until now, we've mostly been focused on building a great product and delivering over delivering to our users. So that's helped us get the word out because people are usually so excited to get their friends on the system and, and using the platform to compete uh, with each other. Right. So I may have an Apple Watch. You may have a Fitbit. Gyroscope syncs all that up into one cohesive platform that you can use to compare two individuals. So what people do, we have we have a groups functionality where people can join groups for, you know, increasing each other's productivity or physical activity, weight loss. So we have groups associate associated or surrounding those topics and people can form groups with their friends. And that has been a huge growth tool for us. People just getting excited about groups. Uh, since we released, we just released our latest mobile app, Health Tracking by Gyroscope, what people start doing is sharing these cards as well. So there's a, all these cards around your workouts and all the data that I was saying. We create these really cool infographics that really liberates all the data from all the various points and systems that you use to collect all your activity data. And that really enables people to see what they are doing and how it's impacting their productivity and their physical and mental health. So these cards are really beautiful and on did a great job. Oftentimes what you'll see is people tweeting out their card for the day and then all their followers going, oh my God, what is that? What is that tool they're using? What is that service they're using? And it's been a really good cycle for us to to get users and we're seeing a good explosion of growth when people start sharing these cards and tons of people curious about where all this data is coming from and how we're representing it. Yeah, for sure. And so speaking about all that data and where it's coming from, you know, what is it about sort of the, the Internet of Things or the wearables, you know, the quantified self-movement that you find the most exciting and challenging at the same time from the angle, you know, uh, or perspective of Gyroscope? 
So, like, the biggest thing we have to deal with is skepticism, right? Like, a lot of products have existed before we have, and these services haven't done a great job of tracking people's data, data outages, blanks, and stuff like that. And it's it's a problem because the market hasn't been proved, like, it hasn't been fleshed out fully. And we're hoping to do that with Gyroscope because a lot of times when people see platforms where we're relying on data from other ones, they're kind of skeptical because they're thinking we're not going to do it properly or we're not getting correct, accurate data or we're not going to be around for very long. So I think it's only a matter of time before this type of thing becomes the norm. We have all these fancy UIs in movies and movies always feel foreshadow what's going to happen and the ideas for what we should be building. And there's a lot of a lot of fancy stuff where people are keeping track of their heart rates constantly, moving um, their activity data, where they're spending their time, their current location. There's a lot of privacy issues to, around that stuff, but we've done a good job of letting our users know that we're we're here to build a product for them, not to sell them. That's the really the skepticism we have to deal with, and really proving that market and making sure it's a, a valid thing that people are willing to pay for is very important to us. And that it's a platform that tracks your health and activity, but also provides suggestions for you to be healthier and more effective in your time. I think we're headed in a really exciting time in personal health and the future is looking really great. And all this data is going to enable a tons of insights and challenge a lot of our previous uh, conceptions. And really just pushing the boundaries on what we view as normal and what, what we're willing to accept around our, our health is going to be really important in the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. Really look forward to seeing how you guys, you know, play into that and, and how it all comes together. So you mentioned earlier that, you know, you guys have, you know, a, a few apps. And, and I know that, you know, when I was using the pro app for a while, you guys were, were sort of distributing it privately. Now it's in the app store. What's it been like sort of, you know, uh, managing all these different apps? And what are some of the advantages and, and, and challenges around sort of distributing these while you're while you're building the product? So distributing it while we're bringing the product was a great assistance, right? Like there, since there's only two of us, we needed people testing the application. We needed people giving us feedback, letting us know where the thing was falling short and where it was over over delivering. And that allowed us to focus on what, what we're doing best and allow us to put that foot forward. So our beta users were great. They were providing feedback constantly when there were issues in each release. They would let us know. Oftentimes we'd catch things just by releasing it and people would just we had a private beta group where they would they could suggest suggestions or or share feedback and it was great so distributing it privately i highly recommend and having a beta group in order to help you generate a better product like the help that they provided with us is is immeasurable releasing so many different apps is is a good thing it it allows us to have different beachheads in different areas and allow people to focus on the thing that they do i particularly am not a runner but we do have a, a running app by gyroscope which pulls in your data your running data that you collect and allows you to share that intelligently through the shareable cards, as I said earlier. And now we have the, the health tracking by Gyroscope, which pulls in all your workouts, all your locations, all your computer activity, your sleep, your heart rate, your step data, everything about you all passively into your phone to be able to look that and share it whenever you feel like it. We're invite only at the moment. Previous users are allowed in. Any user that signs up through Hack to Start, I'd like to extend you guys uh, an invite code which is hack to start, all lowercase. So go download health tracking by Gyroscope today. That's awesome. Thanks for doing that, man. That's really cool. So what's next for Gyroscope, uh, you know, over, over the next couple of months? What's, uh, what do you guys got on the radar? So we have tons of stuff planned for this year. Gyroscope, we're going to get many more integrations this year. We're going to provide tools for more platforms, possibly a desktop application, but you can hear that from me. And mainly getting it out to as many people as possible and maturing the product and its community. So we have a lot of things focused up for this year, and we're going to be growing. And I'm really excited about what we have in store for you guys. So cool. And so, you know, given the fact that you guys are doing so much to push 
you know, the visual boundaries of, of data visualization and just the experience on, on mobile uh, platforms. What are some other apps that, that you've downloaded recently or, or really enjoyed using? And, and what is it about them that, that you like so much? So I'm a huge fan of uh, Narwhal. It's an app for Reddit. And I'm not even that big of a Reddit user. At most, I'll probably spend like 30 minutes a month on Reddit. But the app is so well done and so so uh, good at what it's designed to do that I had to mention it. And I mean, it's it's what keeps me on Reddit. You're so probably it, one of the most like self-disciplined Reddit users in the world. 30 minutes a month. That's like a minute yeah, a day. <laughs> yeah. Not, well, it's not it's not very long. Like it's I may be I may be I may be lowballing it maybe an hour or so. But I'm very focused on what I spend my time on. Probably a few minutes before bed each day, take a glance, maybe bookmark some things. But I try not to spend too much time because a minute can easily turn into an hour. Exactly. Um, so that is a great app. I think everybody who uses Reddit a lot should get that one. Uh, I think it's paid. I think it's two ninety nine or something. But well, well, well worth it. Um, I think they also they're, they're freemium. So I think it's free, and then you have to if you upgrade to pro, you get that. Yeah. Um, another app recently. I'm a huge basketball player. And there's this app called Goat, and it's basically an app that lets you look for aftermarket basketball shoes that are really, really sought after. So it's another market. And oftentimes people will just do this through either a subreddit or a mailing list, and they exchange shoes that way. Or somebody would announce, hey, I'm looking for these shoes, I'm willing to pay this much. What Goat does, it, it categorizes and catalogs all these things, and you can put in requests for a particular type of shoe, and when that shoe comes into their system, they'll notify you. It's really well done. They support PayPal, Apple Pay, credit card, all in app, which is awesome. Really well done. Great app. And if you're a big uh, basketball shoe person like me, you should definitely give it a look. Uh, And another one I really enjoy and I use every day, um, Outlook is a great app for email. Email apps come and go. I think Outlook's here to stay. It syncs with all the email clients that you have. So I use my Google accounts and all my private ones with it as well. Sunrise, I was a big user of Sunrise. Microsoft recently bought them, and apparently I think they're shutting down Sunrise soon. Hopefully they pull all the functionality that's in Sunrise into Outlook. Another app that I use for tracking my sleep is Sleep Cycle, which is really great. Um, it uses the sound and motion of your bed. So you can put it on the on the desk next to you, and it uses sound. So it has the option for either motion, so you can put it on your on your mattress, or you can put it on your uh, bed, night t- bed night table and use the sound from your bed to track whether you're asleep. It's actually very accurate. And have this cool demo of it'll it'll make noise as it as it picks up noise and it's really cool to see how accurate it is to figure out how deep your sleep is probably falls over for people who snore but it's i i really like it obviously this is, i'm using that for gyroscope uh, another thing that i like to use for gyroscope is stripe for keeping track of subscriptions and new customers and up there and up there camera are really two amazing photo syncing and file sharing apps it's completely free right now unlimited usage like if you're looking for an alternative to Dropbox that is completely free and allows you to browse all your music and all your files on from the cloud for instant playback and viewing on the go, up there is great. They're probably going to get bought soon. Pretty sure they're they're really trying to align themselves well with Apple so they can take over their iCloud perspective. This company started by all previous Apple uh, engineers. Yeah. So I think they're they may go away soon, but it's definitely very cool to look at. Cool, it's awesome. So, you know, on that on that same vein, do you have any recommendations for some great content like books, videos, blog posts, anything that you've you know uh, discovered lately? As I said, with the newsletters and Python and stuff like that, I'm a huge subscriber to that. Like, I don't spend a lot I don't spend a lot of time looking at Hacker News and Product Hunt. I tend to try to keep productive as much as I can. Um, so, I subscribe to these newsletters, which allowed me to 
take a look through my downtime. A lot of the newsletters from Cooper Press are really well done, so I'd definitely give a look, look at what they have. Obviously, if you're a Python person, check out PyCoders Weekly. Another book that I recently read was Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull, which was a really good read on creating teams and, comp- and, and creating a good company culture, which allows people to like tinker and to make discoveries and allowing them to take time to discover new ways of doing things and, and playing around. And I think that's really important for a company that's looking to grow to be a thought leader in a particular space. And I think taking the time to play around with things and, and see what works is, is crucial to that innovation. Um, everything else I read is mostly focused on being a better leader and an engineer for the most part. So there isn't much nonfiction to, in my reading diet. So those, those are pretty much what I do. And everything else is really technical books. Awesome. Those are some really good recommendations. So uh, we'll make sure we link to those too. So, uh, you know, do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you like to live by and you think other people should know about? Uh, no model specifically. Like I'm a huge like movie quote person, but aside from that, like, there's nothing really like that really gets me pumped about about things. Um, I'm a huge uh, person who thinks about people. When this, when I get asked this question, I always think about people who motivate me. And I'm really motivated by people. And like most of the things that I really enjoy are people who are faced a lot of adversity and persevered. Like Muhammad Ali is a great ep- epitome of that. Um, he he and himself is a quote machine, so I don't have to go into much of that. But like there's really not a lot outside of that. But there's one quote, Al Davis, who was the owner of the Oakland Raiders for a long time. And this is like a quote that a question he was asked after in an interview right after he won the Super Bowl. And I'm not that huge of a football fan, but I am a fan of somebody like realizing their goal after after working towards it. And that's really I really think that's when people are the most happy are the most self-actualized. Like when they are, when they had a goal, they got to it and they achieved it like like that is like I see that most commonly in like little children when they're when they're learning how to do something. It is, it is a great feeling and you can see the joy because it was it was an accomplishment that they just made right? something they weren't able to do. And then they're now able to do. And a lot of it's just persevering and continuing on. But the interaction he had with the interviewer was like, OK, so the interviewer is asking him a question right after. He's like, oh, how do you guys uh, just keep winning and consistently beating everybody? And well, he's like, well, when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. And when you have great players you have a great organization and then you just tell them one thing, just win baby, which really, 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 really funny. Everybody in the room started laughing and it really translates. Like you gotta, you gotta set up people to win. Like you set them up to succeed and you move out of the way. Like you gotta help them get through what they're trying to do. If you have a goal for them, like as a manager, as a person leading a company, you gotta really set people up to win. Like, right. If they succeed, you succeed. And having that as a core belief is, is really important. Awesome. That's an amazing way to end the show. Mahdi, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show today. I really appreciate it, man. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. Thank you so much. You're doing some great stuff here, guys. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Hack to Start, and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.